Teaching to One, a podcast about education, teaching, and learning. Are you ready? Did you ever watch the Katy Perry movie? No. Where it's like the live action, I guess more of a documentary, but it did come out in theaters. No. Russell Brandt like breaks up with her before she's supposed to go on stage. Mm-hmm. Do you remember there? You have told me about this. Okay. Moment. I have. Yeah. So you know what she, I'm about to like, reference. She composes herself and yes. puts herself together. And gets, she like truly she steals she, herself. She like stands there and she like pulls herself together. Yes. And like you can tell that she goes from like sad, rightfully so devastated Katy Perry who just found out her husband is leaving her. To, like, the Katy Perry that we all know. And it's kind of a haunting moment. Every single one of us at some point is like, okay. And I think about that a lot. Get it together. Yeah. And I think about that a lot because there's so many things happening just for me personally in the past couple months. Today was a very weird day. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I would go out in the hall and I would just be like, Bleh. And then as soon as I got to my door, I had to be like, Miss Day. We had to be ready to learn. We had to talk about Antigone. We had to jump back into the Holocaust. It's such a weird thing to all day have to be flipping like, and I'm sure everyone does this in their jobs, but it's so weird to feel like I have to flip a switch and do the show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Can you imagine being a Broadway actor, having to do a live performance daily and turning it on and off like that? I feel like what I do is similar. Yeah. Not in the way that, like, I need hours of makeup. Yeah. But in the way that, like... You are sort of putting on a show a of yourself. Uh-huh. Every day there are lights, there are sounds, there are cues, there are... <laughs> half visuals. <laughs> I've got my lines. No. You know what I mean, though? Like, yeah. teaching to a certain extent is an act. Mm-hmm. And because, like, we have to be okay. Teachers, like, we can have bad days, but we have to act okay. And I feel like probably everyone in their job probably feels like they have to act okay. But there's something about doing it in front of, like, 20 teenagers that's very, <laughs> like, <laughs> Would you say that you feel pressured to be edutaining? I do. Nice job. Hello, listener. Welcome. Good evening. Or good morning. Or good night. That's the same thing. You said good morning. You said good evening. Well, yeah, but evening is, like, the... Dusk? Yeah. The the dusky hour. Dusky. Night is like you're getting in bed. and Night, and, night. Yeah, night, night time. Bed by. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, good afternoon. Yeah, hello and welcome. <laughs> this is 16 to 1, your favorite podcast about education, teaching, and learning. We are your hosts. I am Chelsea. I'm Katie. Welcome. We haven't done this for a while. Well, yeah. We're, I just figured we should check in and say hi. Hi. And just not assume, you know. I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. Go on. Well... Anything new happening in your teaching life? You made it. No, it's perfect and I love it. And there's (laughs) nothing wrong with the education world. And I'm not in the middle of state testing. How are you? I, I, I have no further questions, your honor. I also have my annual spring cleaning. Nose sludge. Of my brain, it feels. Your sinus cleaning. Mm -hmm. What's happening? Mm -hmm. It just feels like my head is getting inflated. I'm sorry. Just a lot of that. I did read an article from Nat Geo yesterday about how having COVID shrinks parts of your brain. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking That's about a thing that. That's we're discovering mm-hmm. and researching now. Yeah, it feels good. 
I'm, I'm curious. It feels good to know that we yeah. only had it four months ago. If and you're, we're just about due again. Right, right. If you're a if you're a listener and you've had COVID, just write in and tell us what your experience. Do you have a was. will to live? Yeah, for real. <laughs> I want to know about the brain fog I experienced with COVID and whether or not this was a normal mm-hmm. thing because. This, the first time I had it was in November of 2021. Mm-hmm. The second time I had it was, whatever, February Late of January, this year. January, early 2022. February 22, yeah. So the one that I got in January, February, it messed with my brain so much more. Like, I, I felt so much less. I, I just couldn't work. I the first one anything. did? No, no, no. The second the time. The second one. Yeah. So I'm yeah. curious if that is similar to other people's experiences yeah. i'm curious I whether how how much people paid attention to their own mental state when they were going through it because i could tell that i was yeah. messed up i wonder if it's part of the strands too well that's what i'm curious about yeah. whether people who have had it recently or more than once are experiencing more of that yeah kind of symptom you know yeah for sure but anyway, write in uh, um, hello at ccno1.com and tell us what your experience was yeah. if you had, if you happen to have it. Because we're, we're always curious to just know, know what other people's experience we're of it. collecting data, conducting we, we very sure serious research here. Very serious research. Um, no, it's state testing time, so uh-huh. I would prefer not to talk about teaching if that's okay. Mm, no problem. We'll talk about something else entirely. This is now a Yankees podcast. Hello, welcome. They're awful. Spring training. But they beat in the Tigers. Session <laughs> Anyways. On this pod. I um, guess we're a little past spring no. training at this point. Yeah, we're in season. No, we're just in that final push of spring. It's mm-hmm. like, what, five weeks, six weeks? It is prom, graduation, senior trip, you know, just... All those big memory-making all, things. Yep, all, like, the like this week is a bunch of music performances, so we're, like, mm-hmm. deep in it. Cool. It's a fun time, though. Yeah. I, I do love it. I love the spring. I hate testing, but mm-hmm. I love the sports season. You know what I mean? It's, it's a fun time to be at the high school, for sure. Cool. Yeah. All right, well, let's get right into the topic of the week. Yeah. Uh, we picked edutainment to talk about. Which is this is a U word, a fun portmanteau. Good job. What? I saying love portmanteaus. Saying French words. That's so good. Portmanteaus for you. <laughs> uh, yes, possibly coined by Walt Disney, but possibly somebody else. I don't want to give him that credit. I, well, he definitely did use that term right. way back in. I think. Let's see. He used it in 1954. I think is oh. what I found to describe this series of nature documentaries called True Edutainment. Life Adventures. Edutainment. Yeah, he described their, Disney's own True Life Adventures series, which was short and full length nature documentary films. This series. Wow, of them. I didn't realize yeah. this. Of okay. Yeah, so Disney had been making, and, and I'll actually talk more about Disney nature documentaries a little bit later and some of the criticisms of edutainment, because there's a funny story <laughs> to be had there about it. But okay. anyway, yeah, I'm so ready. it's been around as a concept for a minute. It's becoming more and more ubiquitous with the technology, you know, with everyone being online sure. now, I guess I would say. We're much more familiar with this concept, such that... People don't really use that word very often, I don't think, unless they're like marketing people or, you know, education professionals who are doing scholarly work about this kind of stuff. People just kind of think of regular forms of media. Right. That's what this is. But (laughs) this isn't a buzzword right now. Edutainment? No, it's not. No, it has like a a whiff of Microsoft in 1996. 
that word clippy. to me. Clippy, yeah, it feels like clippy. That's what that's what the word don't, edutainment feels like to me. Don't bring clippy into this. So it's kind of a dorky word, yeah. but the concept that it's describing, we all know what that is. Um, right. There's a paper by these scholars, Buckingham and Scanlon that kept coming up during our research for this. It's called Selling Learning Towards a Political Economy of Edutainment Media. It was written in the year 2000, which I think is... Wow. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting article. But anyway, these these two dis- describe edutainment as a hybrid genre that relies heavily on visual material, on narrative or game-like formats, and on more informal, less didactic styles of address. Purpose of edutainment is to attract and hold the attention of the learners by engaging their emotions through a computer monitor or, you know, they're talking about (laughs) gaming specifically. So Mm -hmm. they're talking about computer monitors full of vividly colored animations. It involves an interactive pedagogy and in in their words, totally depends on an an obsessive insistence that learning is inevitably fun. Hmm. Which they were. My goodness. An obsessive insistence that learning is fun. How dare you insist that learning is enjoyable. It's How not, dare you? No, let's not get it twisted. I, I'm i surprised that in 2000, this was the thought. Uh, Yeah. So, like, a I'm, lot of I'm a little bit, yeah, this isn't, I was expecting, like, 2010. Mm. To hear to hear people talking about edutainment Yeah, just in, in this that way. way. I see. So, through the 90s and early 2000s, I would say there was a lot of, there was a mad scramble paired alongside the dot-com boom, yeah, right. there was this mad scramble to make edutainment software because personal computing was becoming a thing that was Possible. everywhere at the time, but it hadn't mm-hmm. been yet. So people were just kind of scrambling. And actually, in the What I Learned this week, I'm going to talk more about this, but within the video game development space, there were, there were a couple of competitors who were putting out educational material, and not all of it was of the same quality, I will just say, which was interesting. <sighs> but... I'm just thinking about some of the games I used to play when yeah. I was little. This was the golden age of computer game edutainment, hey, for sure. You know what? We could throw it all the way back to the Oregon Trail. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's, you know, like... Right. And that was that was pre-2000, obviously. But I definitely remember, okay, 2000, I was 10. So I remember we had one computer in our kindergarten class. <laughs> the games on it were so good. Mm-hmm. I remember loving it. I don't really remember too much about computers in like first grade. I remember a little bit second grade. Third grade was the first time I was on the internet. I know I've told this story. I thought that NASA.gov or whatever it was, was the only website. Yeah, that was the internet, NASA.gov. Was it not? Was there more? You're saying I was that that close? I I feel bad to ruin this illusion, but there was more internet. But I do remember these games being like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I loved them. Yeah. So was the goal of this early stuff, like as far as what this is relating to, is this like just games? Um, yeah, this particular article was focusing on video games gotcha. as edutainment yeah. just because of what was going on at the time. Well, that was really um, popular. So that makes right. sense for that 2000. That's like for exactly sure. where that was. I think now our concept of what edutainment is has expanded, although some of the stuff we're going to talk about has been around for forever, too. Sure. But it's just, you know edutainment as a kind of market segment as such Mm -hmm. now we know what that encompasses but it just wasn't always all considered under that under that umbrella i did a little bit of market research on Mm -hmm. what is considered edutainment this is wild yeah i was just kind of curious to know what the volume of dollars is that changes hands when it comes to edutainment right now 
this website that I found, we'll put it in the show notes, but it just does like estimations of how much revenue happens in various markets. And this site was estimating the edu- the edutainment market revenue in the U.S. totaled $1.6 billion oh in 2021. And so that same money. market, the same market is expected to reach $8.1 billion by 2032. I believe it. So in about a decade, we are going to see... Eight times. Compound annual growth rate of 16.1%, which is just kind of wild. I believe it. Definitely up and coming. We know a lot of media companies are very invested in edutainment spending. Almost all of the podcasts I listen to fall under this category of edutainment. So there are going to continue to be a lot of opportunities in that that field. When, When I was reading for this. I was like, oh my gosh, like every podcast, like you're right. Like, but I don't ever think to classify them. But, right. w- but when you start thinking about the media you do consume, for us, I bet it's like 80% of what we consume. A high percentage of what you and I consume, though, would be entertainment. Well, definitely because we spend so much time listening to podcasts. I think that's, that's what I mean. That's a lot of, yeah. I mean, I mean we also watch as a, lot a teacher, of- literally everything I do, but, but yeah. I even think about like the shows we watch mm-hmm. and things like we, we are very active learners like i mean the whole concept of a documentary which we watch a lot right. of this falls into this category sure there's it's a bit elastic i think in terms of what we're talking about what really counts as edutainment yeah, how strictly true. it like happens in schools or not in yeah, schools that's or true. you know so we're we can bend the borders around it a little bit but i but. just think like even the audiobooks i listen to mm-hmm. i listen to them with the goal of learning you and I you mean. You re- read and listen to a lot of nonfiction. I and do. now I'm actually starting to read more nonfiction. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm like. You I'm, did think it was a little weird at first. I just. I love I nonfiction. It's because I love getting lost in books sure. when I read and I love reading, you know, science fiction and fantasy and stuff like that. I like the escapism of that kind of stuff. But what I found out is that if I'm sufficiently interested in something enough to learn a b- bunch about it, then I can equally lose myself yeah, learning that, factual things. Sure. But anyway, yeah, we do. Cool. I, I would say a big portion of what you and yeah. I spend our time consuming probably does somehow at least loosely fit into this category. So I did want to spend a little time just thinking about what edutainment broadly tries to accomplish everything Um, yeah some of this is kind of you know classroom specific thinking some of it is not so much but yeah we've been dealing with in an educational context the idea of play as far back i mean one of our favorites to talk about this concept was john dewey i think it was in 1910 was that the Mm -hmm. book Mm -hmm. i can't remember the name of the book but he talks about you know, characteristics of play entering mm-hmm. formalized educational structures. And yeah. so oh, it's the same thing Maria Montessori said as well. Yep. I mean, that's yep. what her whole school, uh, you know, that type of learning is formed around is that you learn by doing and actively participating in it. That's correct. And that's actually some of the criticism of the use of video games for edutainment is that depending on the kind of game or the gameplay mechanics, kids who are playing those kinds of educational video games might not be as active in their own learning as we might think Mm. they are. Okay. Um, There's a lot of debate in the video game edutainment world about whether or not directed kinds of video games. So like, you know, here's your assignment, go do it, that kind of thing versus just free, undirected, just go have fun and play and learn and learn in the way that you want to learn, which kinds of video games are better for learning. And actually, it usually tends to be the more open-ended, less directed Mm -hmm. ones are the ones that are 
bed or for poor entertainment value. Critical thinking, you know what I mean? Like puzzles, things like that. So mm-hmm. that, that does make sense on the surface, mm-hmm. but... I think the learner as one who is having an active choice in what's going on in their own learning, that that tends to make video games as edutainment more Mm. more valuable for learning. I think that's reasonable. Yeah. So because a lot of these forms of media that we're talking about are relatively new, there isn't always a huge amount of research on them, as you'll know. Especially in the last two years. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) In the the last couple of years, uh, we have seen an uptick in studying this kind of stuff because of the impact that COVID has had on learning. There were a lot of uses of edutainment and technology in distance learning and stuff like that that we'd never seen before. So I'm sure there's going to be more of a focus on this kind of stuff. For sure. Because edutainment technology tends to be more portable. So because that's very easy. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. We're just probably going to see an uptick in research interest in this kind of thing. I mean, you have it in your pocket right now. Right. Like it's it's truly everywhere. Yeah. So I guess I would just say that we we do have research on, you know, legacy media formats like people have been studying the effects of Sesame Street on Mm -hmm. student literacy since Sesame Street has been around. So like that kind of thing, you know, there's more known about Mm -hmm. those forms of edutainment than there are about. Yeah crash course or something sure. like we don't really know the it's just about effects. the longevity of it to have mm-hmm. some kind of yeah that makes sense though so while i was researching i found this one report that came out of the uk it's called playful by design and it was produced by this entity called the digital futures commission hmm. it's in the uk interesting stuff in here but they're trying to envision what educational play should look like in an ideal sense. So I kind of, you know, educational play and edutainment are obviously there's some overlap there. So I wanted to just kind of read this because I thought this was a good take on what we maybe should expect from these forms of media. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this as a classroom educator, because I'm not sure that all of these scholars are coming at it from a classroom perspective. So anyway, they think that Play should prioritize digital features that are inclusive and welcoming to all, reducing hateful communication and forms of exclusion and reflecting multiple identities. Yeah. So that's interesting because that's directly... Anti-bully. Yeah. It's anti-bullying. It's also directly addressing some of the more pernicious aspects of social media and being online and things like that. So far, so good. Yep. Check. (laughs) Provide and enhance features that offer easy-to-use pathways, flexibility, and variety as these support children's Mm. agency in their imaginative, stimulating, and open-ended play. Yeah. So this is a little bit what I was just talking about. The individualized agency, Their agency, their imagination, and then the fact that it's open-ended, stimulating Mm -hmm. play is important. Yeah. Well, and it's individualized for them mm-hmm. because they have the, the choice. Reduce compulsive features designed to prolong user engagement or cultivate dependency hmm. on games, apps, or platforms so children's immersive play is intrinsically motivated and freely chosen. All right, well. Fascinating. I don't want to not be addicted to it, Can, so never mind. Can you imagine trying to design a video game that is fun and in a way kind of addictive, but not addictive, like, you know, mobile games that we play. That seems so Can you imagine backwards. trying to design a really fun video game that is not... That nobody wants to play forever? Yeah, that you don't get addicted to. I mean... <laughs> this is good, but not great. Well, this is actually kind of what, back in the, the early days of Wordle, when people were actually excited to play Wordle, that was the thing that came up a lot. People felt like what they liked about it was that they could only do it once a day, mm-hmm. and it only lasted for a few minutes. I agree. And then they had to put it down and wait until the next day to do it again. 
It's and that very... was a big feature for a lot of people because they did not feel this compulsion to keep going and going and going. And it makes sense. Yeah. It seems odd, though, because you would think that if a child chose to keep playing, then they could keep mm-hmm. evolving, whatever the word is you want to use. So it seems a little bit backwards to not encourage that. Definitely thinking about it from a video game design perspective, it is the exact opposite of what you are used to doing. Well, You're used to designing experiences that keep people wanting to click on the things forever. Yeah, I just mean even though on the teacher side of it, mm-hmm. wouldn't I want them to keep doing something that's educational, stimulate yep. you? And I mean, like, uh-huh. okay, what else? Interesting. A couple things about safety: mm-hmm. ensure children's play in online spaces is safe, including by yeah. giving them control over who can contact them and supplying help when needed. We like that. Recognize that a degree of risk taking is important in children's play, and that the burden should not fall on them always to be cautious or anxious. I like that. We teach kids about stranger danger, but we yeah. don't want them to be so afraid of strangers that they never leave the house. So that's the kind of same mm-hmm. principle at work in yeah. online digital experiences, or just uncalculated risks. Uh-huh, that, uh-huh. That's kind of what I'm imagining for students. Yep. Respect the needs of children of different ages by providing age-appropriate yep. opportunities for play, while also allowing for safe intergenerational play. Yeah, this seems that seems huge for younger kids, especially. Mm-hmm. And then the last one that they recommended was prioritize creative resources and imaginative open-ended play over predetermined pathways mm. built on popularity. This is what you're talking about. Yep. Built on popularity metrics or driven by advertising or other commercial yeah. pressures. I mean, the commercial pressures is one thing. That's going to the advertising that that would be hard to try to imagine how you create that content. I mean, this is like this is the heart of my issue with the way that we're talking about the metaverse right now, because it's all just gross ad driven mm-hmm. crap. I mean, it's like the commercial pressure is what is defining that world. And that's mm-hmm. not the way it should be. Yeah. It's just not the way it should be. But anyway. Okay. Okay. Do you want to move on? You want to take us through, we kind of came up with a whole bunch of different examples of edutainment at work. And some of this is more formalized and some of it's less formalized, Yeah, but a lot of good examples of what this looks like, and you'll get start to get a sense of how much money is being spent yeah. on this kind of stuff right now, because mm-hmm. it's just it's it's everywhere. So, just some types of media that would that would fall within edutainment. So, first, TV shows for children. We see things like Bill Nye, my favorite substitute teacher of all time. Uh huh. A lot of these are were very popular when, <laughs> yeah. when we were kids, because you know most of our listeners yeah. are going to be more. You know, these are the millennials closer uh, to our age, yeah. yeah, for sure. Sesame Street, gotta love it. Schoolhouse Rock, that was a little bit Prius, mm-hmm. but it's always good. They were always, always good. I mean, they'd still put the Schoolhouse Rock videos on in school when they yeah. tried to teach us something, but they were about. just released prior to our yeah. childhood. Yep, Wishbone, Captain Planet. Oh, that's a good one. Captain Planet was, I loved Wishbone too. I did too. Mm-hmm. Barney, of course. Mm-hmm. You forgot. The Magic School Bus. Oh, yeah, that's wrong. I should not have left that off. That that was a great one. And then, like, Blue's Clues and Dora the Explorer. Yeah, that's starting to get into post-our childhood. (laughs) I don't remember much about Blue's Clues and Dora the Explorer. But, oh, my gosh, just thinking back on some of these shows, I just, I can see it so vividly. Mm -hmm. It's kind of fun. It is wild, because when I was reading through some of these lists, too, I was just, the the memories of them from childhood were so vivid. Yeah. Like, I could just, like, I pictured myself on the floor of my living Mm -hmm. room in the house where I grew up playing and watching Build High the Science Guy. Like, I could just so easily see it in my mind's eye. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And then for adults and kids, obviously, or Kids Plus, you know, like, the older 
even my students, probably teenagers and things like this, mm-hmm. they enjoy Mythbusters or that that's something that you, you can learn a lot from Mythbusters. It's yeah. Whether or not it's I love a, that show. You know, it's good to know. I don't think it's being produced anymore. I think they're done done. I think they're but done. But it's too. uh it's it was a great show. How it's made Mm-hmm. Masterclass, which is one of your favorites. Yeah, this isn't exact. I guess I should have put this in the other, like the online video section. But Masterclass is it kind of works like documentaries, but they're mm-hmm. led by industry experts and they talk yeah. about industry specific stuff. The one that I really like is uh, the astronaut. Yeah, it's Canadian guy, mm-hmm. Chris Hadfield. There yeah. we go. He, it's Chris Hadfield doing space. space travel. Yeah, it's fascinating. And he, I will say. I am not naturally inclined to understand understand space travel, is anyone? <laughs> but hearing him talk, he is so good at it. He's got so I've listened to a bunch of different master classes. I did the Aaron Sorkin one. Mm-hmm. I did I've, d- I've done a whole bunch of them on a whole bunch of different things, and he is the best presenter of all of the ones that I've watched. Uh, he has little spaceships he holds up yes, and shows you. he does. He has I, visuals. I truly, I learned so much for him, and I have no background knowledge. Well, he makes very complex things super accessible. Yeah. I just, he is and incredible. And he's personable, and he's yeah. not boring. He's got kind of a good sense of humor. Yeah, he kind of like chuckles at he's himself funny, a little he's bit. He's got like dorky yeah. dad jokes, yeah. but... Not, I like him. They're not overbearing, but he does a great job. So anyway, yeah. master class, that was that example, yeah. Um, And a couple others. Anything on National Geographic? Yeah, you were just talking about that. Mm-hmm. I was. I do love Nat, Nat Geo. Mm-hmm. And also, a fan favorite, for sure, is Drunk History. Drunk History. And if you mm-hmm. don't know what Drunk History is, it's where people drink while telling mostly true versions of stories from history. Yeah. But keep in mind that they're drinking. Yes. It's hilarious. Yes. Okay, so for YouTube or online video, we have things like Crash Course, which is done by Jonathan Green. Mm-hmm. TED Talks, of course. My entire teaching career relies on TED Talks, I feel like. And then for theme parks, museums, exhibits, are Smithsonian's. Yeah, we just talked about that not long ago. Um, Smithsonian Museums. We are very lucky in central Ohio to have COSI, uh-huh. which is our science... I don't want to say museum. museum. I guess it is a museum. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah. Center of Science and Industry, I think is what yeah. it stands for. But it's in downtown Columbus. It's a great place to go visit. Epcot. Yeah. Epcot was the Disney, the most Disney example of a current theme park. Yeah. Because, I mean, Epcot is, is a fun one for adults, too. But it's kind of more educational, yeah. I think, than the other parks. It is. It's intending to inform you about other places around cultures. the world yeah. and other cultures, right? And SeaWorld, I refuse to include. So, never mind. I mentioned SeaWorld because no, there's some controversy regarding whether or not SeaWorld should even exist, and I totally understand why, but I would say that I think they probably at least attempted to foster interest in marine, the study of marine biology for a whole, a whole generation. So while the execution might not have been great in a lot of circumstances with that... Might I recommend a conservation-based zoo yeah. instead? That does yes. rehabilitation and puts them back where they belong. I just don't want them to be... I don't want people to be reminded that they exist. Okay. But one more thing to include would just be conservation-based zoos or animal rehabilitation services, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and you can visit those. Oh, uh, the wilds in central Ohio is yeah. another one that we have. That's what I was thinking Very of. Very cool. But a lot of zoos now especially have transitioned into being conservation-based and uh, so their goals then, obviously, are to help, in a lot of cases, rehabilitate animals, but also to secure species. And mm-hmm. so those are always good to support as well. 
So, other things. We've got things like games and toys, uh-huh. which obviously includes our favorite, the Lego. Legos, yeah. Lego is a very popular... For- I'm going to throw in the uh, Lincoln Logs. Yeah, yeah. That like seems connects, important. Erector, like, yeah. Erector sets, those kinds of things. Um, language learning toys, obviously. And then the STEM toys or kits. Yeah. As far as computer games, mm-hmm. Carmen Sandiego. Oh, that's like one of the very one important of the big ones. Mm-hmm. Broderbund software. Mm-hmm. And then all types of sandbox games like Minecraft, which is one of our favorites also. Mm-hmm. Roblox is another really big one yeah. right now. I do have, I've had a lot of kids come through and, and tell me about that. Roblox is kind of... I don't really understand it. I don't really either, but I, as far as I understand, it's a sandbox environment. That okay. is kind of like this generation's Minecraft. Well, they should go back to Minecraft. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, as a as an older school nerd, Minecraft is definitely near and dear to my heart. You know, Minecraft holds up though. Oh yeah, it's still wildly popular for oh, young Minecraft. people. And Minecraft is, also affords a lot of opportunities for this sort of self directed play that we were talking about, and it is so not beautiful. prescriptive for yeah. the most part. Although you can also totally customize. Minecraft world and make it be whatever you want it to be. Yeah. So you you could have more structured objectives. So oh yeah, it, there's a lot of flexibility there. Mm-hmm. Minecraft is just so beautiful and the music is so beautiful and it just makes you feel good. Yeah, and that's great learning for everyone. It's a good game. And then something else maybe you're familiar with mm-hmm. podcasts. Oh, podcasts as edutainment. I've heard of those. So those are things like ninety nine percent invisible, which yeah. I think we have talked about Roman Mars. I will never episode. stop talking about that. 20,000 Hertz. I will also one. never stop talking about that. So the ones about design, 99PI is about design, 20,000 Hertz is about sound design. Um, mm-hmm. But I just picked those because I mention them all the time and love them. But they're definitely they're definitely what I would consider a, a form of edutainment. Yeah. Anything from NPR, obviously. Yeah, and- there are a ton of public radio shows that are very educational and free. So yeah. just go subscribe. And one more plug for the Hank and John Green brothers. Yeah. The Anthropocene Reviewed, which uh-huh. this is actually John Green, um, his podcast based on his most recent book. It's a really beautiful podcast, so definitely worth checking out. But like I said, most of what I listen to for sure is this kind of basis. You know, I listen to the Radium Girls. I've listened to, most recently, I listened to an entire book about um, the Chateau Mormont in L.A. I just started the new book, audiobook about Laurel Canyon in mm-hmm. L.A. and kind of the music scene, so... I consider all of those things opportunities of learning. Yeah, they are opportunities of learning. I think just that, not with this in mind. I realize. Yeah, I guess I would say some people probably don't consider. They just consider that informational literature or whatever, <laughs> yeah, just I nonfiction. Suppose. But yeah. I, I think that when people say edutainment, they tend to mean more commercially driven. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and also technology. So like the sort of intersection of those things. Like that's fair. Commerce and technology entertaining and informing you mm-hmm. but again there's just kind of blurry lines around what you what you mm-hmm. consider to be wrapped into yeah. this when you when you're just kind of consuming media all the time as we all mm-hmm. are in this day and age this internet age when you're just sort of consuming all the time everything starts to feel a little bit similar yeah anyway. i think that's where it's it feels coming. like everything is trying to edutain us mm-hmm. yeah. it, it really is for sure I think part of my bias is that everything that I listen to, as I'm listening to it, I I am always in the back of my head. How would I teach this? Where would I connect this? So, Mm -hmm. like, in my head, I can, you know, I'm doing it all because I'm like, oh, I'd love to teach the Radium Girls. And that's just because I think it's a great book and the history is interesting. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I, I do understand the difference. But I think probably a lot of people are 
absorbing more of this than they realize probably which is cool probably and i bet we're start to gonna start to be more all inclusive of what we consider to be edutainment yeah we're just gonna start to blur lines especially with stuff like vr becoming more mainstream we're just gonna see so much more of this stuff so it's exciting what are your thoughts about edutainment in the classroom well i made a list of a few resources that teachers use a lot or i should say that I have seen teachers use a lot, and this is geared towards high schoolers. So there's websites called Kahoot and Quizlet and Quizzes and Pear Deck, and all of these make online learning more involved. It is in real time. There are different things to click on and see. So like Kahoot is a review game. And I don't know if you ever did this when you were younger, but like if you went to a restaurant that had the trivia, right? And it would like show it on the board and you picked your answer and you got your score. Mm -hmm. That's what Kahoot is. Gotcha. So it gives teachers a chance to create a Kahoot to review. Your students can play it. And so it gives them the interaction of reading the question, answering it, and making it a game, but it's actually just review. Mm-hmm. Quizlet is basically the same thing. Quizzes is essentially the same thing as well. They're just a little bit different um, looking. They work a little bit differently, but they're all being used for the goal of studying, I would say, especially. Studying in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And competitive. Right. Quizlet, a lot of my kids use Quizlet because it's an app as well. And it's just basically virtual note cards. Mm, mm -hmm. And they like that. So I really like those. Pear Deck is another one that I really like. And Pear Deck is an add-on for Google Slides. Pear Deck makes Google Slides more accessible for students. So you project on the board like a code for your Pear Deck and then the students join it and they can draw or they can fill in the blank or they can do all kinds of things. And Hmm. it's all hosted on a Google class or a Google slide. Hmm. So it is really cool technology. Interesting. But I would say that all of these things fall under the broader umbrella of edutainment Mm -hmm. because there there are game, they have been gamified, I guess. You know, there is... A leaderboard, there's sights and sounds, and like Kahoot, if you've ever listened to a Kahoot game, it's hilarious. They play the same music, and a couple updates ago, they finally offered like different tracks, so it'll be like December, and I'll be playing like the spooky music for Halloween. (laughs) It's just, it cracks them up, but it's really fun. My other thoughts, I think it's probably hard for me because we grew up in this age of edutainment. The beginnings of it. Yeah. As a as a commercialized classroom concept. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's just so normal for me that it doesn't strike me as a new part of mm-hmm. teaching or mm-hmm. learning. My kids do love this type of learning. I they really do. Yeah. They love games. They love to review. You know, like they like that stuff. That's interesting to hear you talk about that because I know that maybe some of this has to do with the fact that you're a younger educator too because career educators who have been around for a bit longer might struggle a bit more with the adoption of new technologies Mm -hmm. and especially edutainment centered technologies because especially if you're not a digital native that stuff can just seem kind of like blingy and distracting Mm -hmm. and not there's not a lot of value in it right which i understand why it's easy to think that about certain forms of edutainment because some of them have been kind of crappy yeah over the no they <laughs> over have the history of this industry sure. but anyway yeah but the only other thing that i would say is that there was a this huge push right after the initial covid lockdowns and shutdowns that not all kids can be virtual learners or remote learners 
And I really, truly believe that we are all remote or virtual learners. I just, I believe that to be true about us. I believe that we are all capable of learning online in all kinds of ways, and it doesn't have to be gamified. So I've kind of, since COVID, always kind of felt like I wanted to push back against that. And do I understand why some students do better in the classroom? Yes, of course. But we're all learning from some type of media all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, think of how many times even you find a YouTube video of how to fix something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I I think that a lot of times there's like all of this bad stuff that it's like, oh, it's not personable and you have no connections. And it's like, well, no, but you've just not found the way for it to work for you. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to find ways to work this technology into the classroom because I like to have my kids doing different things. Yeah. So I think it's always exciting. Like when Pear Deck came out, I thought that was really cool. I've used Kahoot for years. So Quizlet was a new addition for me this year. But kids, my teenagers do respond well to it. And are there still some who want to get out their note card and write on the front and back of it? Yes. Mm -hmm. And there always will be. Yeah. But I don't see a problem in trying to reach as many of them through these types of things. And I think there's still a lot more learning to be done that way. Mm -hmm. So, And I think especially as a lot of my students are on the college track, it seems that colleges are becoming even more based in this type of learning. Yeah. So I think we're only better preparing them for future success by doing it now. So. Well, let me transition to the next point that I was going to ask you about, which was the concept of a flipped classroom, which... What does this mean for people who are not familiar with this is a very buzzwordy term that flies around in educational theory circles and such. Mm-hmm. But what's it mean to you? Well, I've heard of it a few ways. Uh-huh. I've heard it in the terms of like the teachers being the students and the students being the leader of the classroom uh-huh. for uh-huh. like student led learning. Is mm-hmm. that the goal you're going for? Um well you and I mean actually, I've just I've heard it a couple ways. You're right. I probably should have specified. But <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, you're right. People tend to use it as a kind of disruption of the old sage on the stage Mm -hmm. model of a teacher standing in front of students and talking at them so that that is one thing it also and this is more the context that i was thinking about in terms of edutainment it can also mean i think i've heard you talk about this before too sending home students with media that takes the place of what was happening Mm -hmm. as a classroom lecture sure so if you're gonna do lecturing and that kind of teaching Mm -hmm. you send that part home as homework either on like a pre-recorded video that you've sure. done as the teacher or you've got a TED talk for them to listen to or you have them listen to an audio book whatever mm-hmm. that may be yeah you send that part of the educational experience home as homework and in the classroom mm-hmm. you leave space for them to ask questions and yeah. work on things together and have moments of collaboration mm-hmm. and allowing for real-time learning about the content that you've already covered that they've already the lecture has already happened before sure. they show up to class you use your classroom time not sitting there listening to a boring lecture but doing other <laughs> how kinds dare you of, yeah sorry uh but doing other kinds of learning that is more includes more agency on yeah. behalf of the student i think that type of learning has become even more popular obviously the past couple of years i think that type of learning fits a lot of learners is what i want to say because mm-hmm. what i have realized as especially in the 2020 2021 school year I was recording everything I was doing and posting it. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was that even for my kids who were in school, they like to go home and re-listen to it and pause it and things yeah. like that. Yeah. So that to me, super valuable. Mm-hmm. 
I'm um, a big fan of of that idea. I, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna lecture, they might as well listen to a lecture. Yeah. On their own time. Yeah. Teaching should be about the, the what the students are doing, what they're thinking, what right. they're wondering about, resolving questions, working through difficult problems. Yeah. That's that's the classroom work. Um, at least personally, I, I totally understand the, mm. the strength of that but way th- of thinking about things. Yeah, there's a lot of pushback on this, though, because a lot of people feel like, oh, the teacher should be the one in front. And it's just it's kind of archaic. And I think in a lot of classrooms, it's probably still the most appropriate way to learn. But I do like it as a as a whole. I will say and I know I've said this a million times before, though, that type of learning is a privilege. And it's because not every one of my students has the access to do those things outside of school. Yeah. So I think as long as we have those issues, that's going to be a pushback for flipped classrooms in a perfect world where everyone has internet and a device and the time and the access. I love it. Uh, That's actually one of the criticisms of this kind of educational material. Uneven access to education or to to educational technology is a big one for sure. But yeah, go ahead. Kahoot is something, the one that I talked about earlier, that's Mm -hmm. kind of like a trivia game. Kahoot presents itself on the board, and on your device, you have uh, four squares to pick from, and they're each a different color with a shape. And that's how it corresponds to the answer on the board. So you need two devices, basically, to play Kahoot, if Mm -hmm. you want to play Kahoot. Mm -hmm. Kahoot pushed out a thing a couple years ago that you could share a link, and they could do the Kahoot on their own. And I thought that was really cool. I, you, I could track and see how many times it had been played. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some of my game or my cahoots in class have hundreds of views. But the one I sent home or I posted for them to play, I, I only had like seven or eight plays. But I was like, I was kind of frustrated with my classes because I was like, I made you this cahoot. Oh, you know, this whole thing. And they were like, oh, teacher, it takes two devices to play. And I don't have anything at home to play it with. So in my head, I had like made them this great edutainment mm-hmm. opportunity mm-hmm. because in my head I was like they'll go home they'll put it on their laptop they'll play on their phone all well, my kids had that uh-huh so mm-hmm. that was one of those moments where I was like I'm an idiot of course not all of my kids have a device and a phone mm-hmm. for most of them their device is their phone right but I got smacked right in the face with it because I was like oh this will be great I'll send it home you can do it on your own and they were like well we couldn't really do it because and they couldn't and I was so stupid for assuming but that was one of those moments that I was like, oh, gosh, Katie, come on. Think yeah. a little bit further in advance. <laughs> I do think on the other hand, though, I mean, device parity is a, is a problem for this sort of educational technology a lot of times. But I will say that for students who do have access to maybe like a school device program or something like that, it m- does make learning more portable for sure. Oh, um, 100%. So that's actually on the on the pro side of this kind of stuff, the con side is also <laughs> access yeah, to technology. No, you're right, you're right. Um, so the tech can make things more portable. The fact of having fun while learning mm-hmm. definitely engages kids yeah. more thoroughly in the material. You know, the amount of information, for example, just any given online yeah. learning portal, you can just convey way more information than you can by sending home a textbook with a kid. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it also gives them exposure to advanced tech skills. These, yeah, this it does. kind of stuff a lot of times... Just media and digital literacy in general is boosted by this kind of edutainment stuff. And then it's just like, you know, hands-on stuff just excites 
kids and gets them more yeah. inspired and gets them being more imaginative. They they mm-hmm. like this kind of stuff. They do like not variety. all of it. Some of it's dorky and seen to be so. You know, some of it's very transparently dorky yeah. to these kids. But the stuff but that's sometimes done that's well, fun for them too. Yeah. Sometimes they appreciate that. They do like that kind of learning. But like I said, for every kid that loves this edutainment there's going to be, you know, a handful that still want that piece of paper. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is what's cool about edutainment is because is the goal is, right, to a- appeal to all types of learners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exciting. I also think that's a challenge for edutainment, though, because edutainment tries to target a pretty broad audience just because it wants to be accessible. But also what that means is it kind of standardizes an approach to learning. Yep. For any given class, mm-hmm. you might have learners in there who just don't work the way the piece of edutainment yep. wants to work. I agree with that. So let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about some criticisms sure. of this idea. Now, obviously, just the commercialization of any kind of educational yeah. material presents That's always gonna be lots a- of opportunities for mm-hmm. pitfalls. There actually is... I just want to get this out of the way. This is kind of funny example. Uh, I know we mentioned this at the beginning, but Disney has always kind of been a pioneer, an early pioneer of edutainment. They had another nature documentary called White Wilderness. This was probably in the 50s, I think. Okay. It was this early target for anti-edutainment feeling because it created this weird misconception about lemmings. Have you heard this story? Do I know what a lemming is? Well... Can I look this in Little creatures. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. They're kind of cute. Yeah. Oh, they have weird teeth. Oh. Okay. Well, now you know what a lemming looks like. Oh. But, I mean, have you heard... Have you heard... Why are the... they jumping off the edge? Well, okay, so that's the problem, right? Have you heard people use the phrase, just like, oh, they're just following, like, lemmings? Or they're not... It's basically meant to say somebody's not thinking for... No, they're jumping up. They're just following the leader and jumping off the cliff. No, but can I tell you the first Google search? Hmm. I'm afraid I'm going to ruin this. Go ahead. You are going to. Okay, I won't. So lemmings don't actually naturally do that. The whole thing, the whole idea of lemmings just jumping off a cliff with blind faith. Basically, the notion was invented by this Disney nature documentary that used these lemmings as an example, but it filmed them outside of their natural environment and i think the implication was that they had basically stressed out these creatures and made them behave in a way that was unnatural for them so this whole concept that lemmings are just dumb little things that will just follow the leader off the cliff is actually a product of this badly executed this is so sad nature documentary by disney i found the video yeah oh Uh uh-huh these poor things. So it was like actually filmed this whole thing. The other thing that was this white wilderness thing claimed that these these lemmings were Arctic, like in the Arctic. And it, this scene with these lemmings jumping off a cliff or whatever was actually filmed near downtown Calgary. <laughs> anyway, it's just oh they're not known to behave. They can't swim? Well, they'll, they can. They just get exhausted. Oh, the, the implication. Disney all these lemmings? Yeah, I mean, the implication... <laughs> From the way that they framed it was that lemmings are not smart and they'll just do this dumb thing. But people have criticized it and been like, yeah, that's not actually how they act when they're not stressed or whatever. Okay. So that was a kind of just a funny little story about a failure of edutainment. There's also kind of an ongoing debate regarding the value of this sort of thing. Past the lemmings. Yeah. Little bits of criticism that have been thrown in the general direction of several of these examples. Uh, Sesame Street 
very popular one has been criticized at various points throughout its existence existence for a number of reasons no a number of reasons no but (laughs) some people say that that the show is basically too passive it's like there's no actual action being taken by kids watching this show and there's also an argument that it's kind of like perplexing to have adults convey to children that everything that can be discovered is logical and easy to understand which i'm just like Okay, so I there's mean, not enough mystery in Sesame Street yeah, for you. Let's Got it. Got it. Hide Oscar the Grouch and see if the kids figure that one out. I mean, I think th- I guess the argument there is that it's like dumbing things down, but maybe your kids too old to be watching Sesame Street. Yeah, that's, if that that's was how my you feel thought about too. It. Is like if it's too boring yeah. and dumbed down, then they're ready for something else. But I don't know. Anyway, there's another okay. argument that edutainment- I'm mad. I'm gonna actually mad. defend it. I guess you just really like Sesame Street. Yeah, I love Sesame deal? Street. Okay. I loved it. There's another argument that the concept of edutainment hurts the actual value of education. Interesting. Mm. Not that it is education. <laughs> that it a, takes away from it. There's this book entitled Amusing Ourselves to Death by this theorist named Neil Postman. He talks about this notion, claiming that certain areas of study have been, quote, transformed into congenial adjuncts of show business. Right. End quote. What a, a great feeling about this. What a great zinger. Museum professionals especially have been faced with this dilemma. You know, the Disneyfication of museums or whatever. Mm-hmm. Museum professionals themselves don't seem to have these severe negative opinions of edutainment, but well, there's still kind of a disagreement. There's on a reason. Why is that? We, I think we should all disagree that we want people to learn. And yeah. that even if we don't agree with how they learn, who cares? If it's accessible like, to somebody, it's great. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Like the purpose of a museum is to be so broad in your approach to teaching that it can touch every viewer. Mm-hmm. So you have to think that way. You have to think about what's interesting and yeah, fun. Yeah, and you have to think about all types of people when preparing it. So mm-hmm. it does make sense that for some, they would not be interested in a certain type of learning, but that doesn't mean everybody isn't. Sure. Another thing, now this is kind of addressing newer forms of media, some of the stuff that we've been talking about, like YouTube, and I mean, we've talked about TikTok as a learning mechanism on the show, but kind of some of these newer newer things, especially YouTube, when these forms of media are democratized and distributed, mm-hmm. the more democratized the media platform is, the, the less trustworthy it might be, just because with anybody being able to upload a mm-hmm. video of themselves yeah. proclaiming the so-called truth, part of the danger you start to lose the checks and balances on fact checking and trustworthiness there's a undark article that i was reading about this guy who kind of made a name for himself on a youtube channel teaching people things and he decided he's going to try to teach people tensorflow in five minutes which is this google ai related oh. technology thing and basically people were saying you can't do that you Uh-oh. can't teach machine learning in five minutes it's just not like you might have taught them something but you but can't do what the value of what mm. you taught them in five minutes not really all of that deep sure i guess is the is the kind of criticism there and that Makes guy sense. actually ended up this guy this article is talking about how to refund people because he essentially got called out for scam for scamming people because he was like not learn teaching them yeah learn this in five minutes and he just really wasn't delivering on the promise of learning uh. there and then we hear a lot of Things that are familiar to us from having this conversation about, you know, cell phones and stuff like, well, devices can be distracting. Not everybody has equal access to them. More relying on technology and gamification can lead to diminished interpersonal connection. These are kind of um, normal things that we hear a lot about technology. And then some people just don't think learning is supposed to be fun. I do know people like this. I do know people like this. I think there there are people who think Real people. Yeah, real people who think that learning... Real human people. Who think that learning should 
kind of just always be very serious and uh, involve a lot of effort and sweat and tears and studying for hours and hours and crunching and that's a bummer yeah i mean there are people who just kind of have outdated opinions about what learning is supposed to look What's like that do yeah i don't know i don't know i mean i i think for a lot of people it's just that's what's familiar that approach to yeah. education is what's familiar the idea of edutainment is frivolous and fluffy and you know what might have worked if it was like that for them hmm. some edutainment some edutainment perhaps they could have used a bit of edutainment I, just, I mean i'm fine with doing hard things i just don't know why we should assume that it should be miserable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's so sad yeah I would agree. Right. Anyway, that's kind of it. That's that's sort of the wrap on the whole concept. I, I think probably a lot of the pushback against edutainment is against some of the less quality forms of edutainment. Yeah, um, which I can agree with. I totally understand that because yeah. there's a lot. The signal to noise ratio, it, it needs an adjustment. <laughs> yeah, it needs an adjustment for sure. But I would say that there there are just so many opportunities to consume bits of media that have educational value and if you can spend your time doing it like you're just talking about you and i spent so much time listening to like podcasts and all kinds of this stuff that is it is both entertaining and educational yeah. and whether or not it explicitly sets out to do that or to just delight you with some information mm-hmm. it's kind of what we're doing you know yeah. <laughs> maybe sure. our own podcast falls under that category we hope we're entertaining but you know i know we're not always but we do we do hope to be at least a little bit yeah i'm fine with that concept encompassing a lot of things i think this is just gonna keep getting bigger and bigger yeah i think this so is not something that's going to go away gamification more and more use of video games mm-hmm. for educational purposes i think all of that stuff is going to continue to happen and i think that we need to find ways to embrace the best parts of it and also ways to keep commercial pressures out of it um yeah kind of like what that one that one report from that UK organization was mentioning to the extent that we allow commercial interests to dictate the structure of these educational experiences. That's, that's very dangerous. We, we really need to sure. be designing to delight and educate. And those are the things that need to drive the platforms. So that's my soapbox. Any final thoughts on mm-hmm. edutainment from you? No, I agree. I, I basically already said this. I just think that we have to keep meeting our learners where they are. And I think this is where they are. So many of them, not all of them. I know that. But I think if the goal is to not make education the most miserable thing you do in your day, this is a great way to it. Mm -hmm. But for teachers, it's definitely walking the balance of like, okay, some of my learners are better if I'm sage on the stage. Some of them are, you know, like, because there are still kids who prefer for me just to stand up and lecture. So I think that's always going to be maybe the, the biggest issue for educators is that i'm drowning in technology and i don't have enough time for it all mm-hmm. and that's okay too you know it just means that i have to be very specific about what i do choose to use with them yeah but i think our kids are built for this and i think that the virtual nature of their futures is critical for this kind of learning mm-hmm. i mean think about all of the jobs that didn't used to be remote or you and i and, they and all of the ones that are disappearing to technology right. yeah. so yeah. i think that this is a i think this is something we can do to help them and i think it's important and it's fun so why not cool that was all interesting. right i've never thought about that as like a a whole subsection its own world yeah, yeah. but you're so right okay want to move on to uh, fill in the blank sure why don't you do last episode I, I would love to this one was a bit involved 
Uh, this was our bullying episode. In mm-hmm. March of 2011, the president and first lady held a White House conference on bullying prevention. The White House also highlighted private, nonprofit, and federal commitments to bullying prevention, including a partnership with MTV Networks. MTV launched a multi-year award-winning campaign wherein the network partnered with the National Council of La Raza, the Anti-Defamation League, the Council on American Islamic Re- Relations, and GLAAD. Campaign work included cyberbullying and digital discrimination, public service announcements, messaging encouraging bullying bystanders to support their friends, and tools to help connect victims of digital abuse to resources. What was this campaign called? A thin line. Nice job. I kind of vaguely remember this. Mm-hmm. I do as well. It was like in the news. When at the you time. were reading it last episode, I was like, oh my gosh. It, yeah. It did come back to you me. You remember that? Yeah. MTV campaign. Okay. Want to do this episode of question? Yeah. The term edutainment has a history in the hip-hop community. It was first made popular amongst the hip-hop community by KRS-One, a.k.a. The Teacher. The Teacher. Thanks to his album by the same name. What was the name of the group that made the album Edutainment? This group was one that basically set the stage for gangster rap. That's true. So the name of that hip-hop group. Yeah, that's a fun one. Found this on the Wikipedia page for for edutainment, and I just thought it was really interesting. I love that. So the hip-hop album was called Edutainment. It was by this group. What was the name of that group? Nice. So if you know the answer to the question, uh, write in, email us at hello at 16to1.com. Just say hello. If you get it right, we'll send you a sticker. And even if you get it wrong, we'll still send you a sticker. Yeah. just write in and say hi. We'd love to hear from you. We got lots of stickers. All right. So what did you learn recently? I have talked. At all, ever. What, What have you learned? What have I learned? What did you learn this week? Well, I just finished a book about... Chateau Marmont, mm-hmm. which I love learning about. Mm-hmm. I just started the new one about Laurel Canyon and its um, impact on the music industry. Mm-hmm. So I like those things. Yeah. We are back into watching This Is Us. Oh, yeah. I'm just kind of recapping. Yeah. But what I've learned, mm-hmm. I've talked about her before, mm-hmm. but my favorite bear is back. Grizzly 399. Grizzly 399 has returned. She has returned. She and her four cubs have returned. And they were recently seen in the Tetons, their home. It's big news. Mm-hmm. They anticipate that they will not be together much longer because they are about the age where they will start moving independently. I'll include the link for the TikTok, but there's a photographer who spotted her and reports on some of the bear movement that happens in the Tetons. But the locals are expecting that this is probably it for her and her four. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very rare to have four make it to this stage because those bears stay with their moms for up to three years. Just a long time for her to be feeding four cubs. Mm-hmm. So, they don't really look like cubs anymore either. They no, like it's just a band of bears. bears. Yeah. yeah. So 399 is back. She made it through winter. Her kids made it through winter. She's probably about to ship them out. I really hope she can stay out of trouble this summer. She keeps um, pushing the boundaries a little bit. And the only reason that she hasn't been euthanized is because of which bear she is. But she's famous. She's very famous, but she's also very bold. So she becomes a little too familiar at times. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I am eager for her. I hope her kids go away. So Because I've read a lot of reports that they think that the reason that she was getting so close to humans was because she had so many bears to feed. Uh. And so they're wondering if that wasn't part of the reason why she was, you and I mean... Doing what she was doing was because she had four cubs. Yeah. Um, Super rare. Bellies to fill. But all five made it through winter and she's back. Good for them. So I'm always excited to follow her for the summer. Cool. Maybe we'll make it back to, I don't know. We didn't see any bears in Tetons last year. Mm -mm. 
We didn't really see any animals in the Tetons last year. Not 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 very many. It was so hot. Yeah, it was Anyways. really hot. Okay. What about you? Well, I learned this was something I learned in the process of researching for this episode. And you and I have talked about being Shark Tank fans before mm-hmm. on yeah. the show. I was reading about all these early days of digital learning, you know, computer learning software. Mm-hmm. We mentioned Broderbund up at the top of the show as so Broderbund was one of the big educational video game publishing entities at the time in sort of like like 90s and early 2000s this era of edutainment and it was the learning company on one side and Broderbund on the other and the learning company was acquired in a hostile takeover by a company called Softkey which was Kevin O'Leary who is on Shark Tank he's the bald guy who's really cranky all the time Mr. Wonderful that's what he calls himself now I can't even stand it I knew I didn't like this guy and I didn't know why I'm not calling him that that's what he calls himself yeah he calls himself he calls himself Mr. Wonderful yes yes just to be clear but this guy calls himself Mr. Wonderful he's actually responsible for Broderbun software dying and the whole edutainment market imploding because he had Softkey, which was the company that ran the learning company at the time, they acquired Broderbund, stripped all of its best assets, basically, and then Kevin O'Leary sold Softkey to Mattel, the toy company. Mm-hmm. Mattel, as soon as they acquired Softkey, realized it was bleeding like millions and millions of dollars and that there was kind of no hope for it. They flipped it, sold off basically toxic acquisition there, for seven cents on the dollar of what they paid for it. It's a big loss. They had initially, Mattel had initially acquired Brodabund and, sorry, Softkey for like, I think it was like 600 million. I can't remember oh the name. Oh my god! It was like, it was a gaz- like, it was huge, yeah. a huge amount of money. Huge amount. Um, I'm going to get it wrong, but they, yeah, but they sold it for, for pennies on the dollar. Oh my goodness. Um, because it was just so badly managed. But what I was talking about earlier about the quality of edutainment and especially software, learning software. TLC, the learning company, and Softkey, so Kevin O'Leary's whole business, the entire thing just pumped the market full of low-quality crap. Mm-hmm. He's like, software is overvalued. This is all going to crash. So Brodabon couldn't compete. Their educational offerings just could not keep up with the mass market flooding of low-quality edutainment crap. So they folded. And I also learned that Brodabon was like, they originally published like Prince of Persia and Mist. Uh, that was one of my favorite things growing really? up. Really, like, they were they were in charge. Of, oh, and the reason, part of the reason I was so into this particular story is because they also originally published Carmen San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, so Great game. the company that brought you Carmen San Diego was acquired by Softkey, run into the ground, sold to Mattel, and then they also like they flipped it again, and I think no. they probably sold it to some like sad vulture capital firm or something. But anyway, and he that, just kept making money. Yeah, Kevin O'Leary just kept he he made a crap load of money off of the sale. And it was a totally toxic asset, and he's just kind of proud of himself that he made it out. Somehow didn't get caught in that whole process. But so anyway, annoying. yeah, it made me really not like him because Broderbund they published a lot of titles that were near and dear to my heart back yeah. in my back in the day in my childhood. It yeah. That. So that was that. Yeah, that was what I learned. Or Broderbund. That's a rough one. Yeah. yeah. Dang it, Mister Wonderful. <laughs> Screw you, Mr. Wonderful. We should have known. I, I do remember him talking multiple times about kind of his start and what he got into. In edutainment? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he never called it that, of course. Yeah. Didn't put all the pieces Educational together. technology. Sure. Yeah. That was how he got his... Interesting. Got his small personal fortune to start. Small. Well, then he ran for office in Canada and didn't... Win. Did he? Yeah, he was like... Is this before the boat mishap or after? I don't know when the boat mishap happened. It was pretty recent. Oof. So, yeah, anyway... 
Kevin O'Leary, not not necessarily uh, good for the edutainment industry. <laughs> but good for his own pockets. Good for his own pocket. All right. Any final thoughts? No. Just, you know, survive. Wrap up. Get to the end of your school years. It's April. Stay yeah. healthy. Take care of yourselves. Get some rest. Take that Claritin. <laughs> yep. Zyrtec. Whatever you need. Have a good sneeze. And we'll talk to you next time. See you. Bye. Thanks for supporting 16 to 1. We're trying to grow our audience, so please check us out at 16to1.com, all spelled out, and tell your friends about the show. On our website, you can find links to follow us on social media, an archive of all our old episodes, and a contact form where you can get in touch. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next show. Fruity 2 or whatever the other one Fruity is called. Fruity 2! I don't know what it's called, but fruit circles or whatever. <laughs> you know, fruit ovals. Something. Fruit O's. <laughs> fruit O's.